Welcome everyone to the Future of Space. I'm your host, Daniel Fox. Today we have an amazing lady with us, Jane Pointer. She's the co-founder of Space Perspective. And guess what? We have a wonderful bottle of silver oak with us for space chat over a glass of wine. Jane, welcome to the Future Space with wine. Thank you very much, can't wait. <laughs> Shall we pour a little bit? Oh, please. I know it's a little bit early in the day, but... I don't know. Little sip of wine. It's somewhere. It's always welcome. It's always. Jane, before we get into space perspective, biosphere, the journey, and what you're trying to do, can you share with us three words that capture the essence of space? Yeah. I hope you're okay that they're hyphenated words. Absolutely. You can, you can do like the Germans. You can, you can put a series of words together yeah. to create a humongous long line. That, that's so. kind of what I did. Okay. <laughs> go, go ahead. A mind blowing? Yes. World changing? Yes. History making? History making. You're doing all of those. Everyone involved in space is doing all of those. Cheers to that. Yeah. So we have a little wine from Sonoma, Silver Oak. Thank you very much. It's all yours. Yeah, that's good. Jane, can you share with us what is for you the human story of going to space? Hmm. Yeah, so look, I think the classic story of we've been looking to the stars for millennia, right? But now that we've gone there, we're discovering it truly is a magical place. Yeah. And, you know, everybody who has been there essentially says the same story, that they thought they were going there to explore the unknown, and instead they really discovered our home planet for the first time. I mean, that's the human story. We're like discovering ourselves and our place in, that process in this of going world. Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. And, and it seems to be an occurrence that happens almost every time somebody goes. Yeah. It's ubiquitous and it's a very powerful experience. You know, when, when you, you've, you've spoken with Ron Garin, so you know from his stories already how yeah. deeply it moved him and how much it changed his outlook on the world. I think it's really hard for anyone to go over there and come back without having... I mean, the, the lasting effect of that travel might differ for a lot of people. But the the amount of information, the physical, the physicality of, of, of experience, will touch everyone, um, independently if they're a child or an adult. I mean, we saw William Shatner going up. Mm -hmm. You and I we talked about how it was special for him because he was primed. He, he like he he had worked his entire life. He's an individual trained in processing the information at the moment. But coming back, he was really kind of the the, the the real example of, mm. of the impact of what it can do. Yeah, it's been really fun speaking to people that have recently been up there in this uh, very different way yeah. than astronauts have previously been. You know, they get just a few minutes to glimpse this, and uh, even with a few minutes, it seems to have a huge impact yeah. on perhaps not all of them that have gone, but most of them. You know, I have spoken with, with some who say, you know, months later they're still, still working to process yeah. what, 
what it means, you know, and I can only, you know, I put it in, in sort of a context of the experience that I had in Biosphere 2, right? Biosphere 2, a project uh, that I was really lucky to be involved in. That was the first attempt uh, for humanity to build the world's first human-made biosphere, right? So there was this really audacious idea that we were going to build this new biosphere and that it could be used as a space base or even as a, as a way to understand more about our own planetary biosphere, Biosphere 1. Yeah. Uh, so I went in for two years and I had this amazing experience of being part of my biosphere and you know, as you could see the edges of our world, it was, a, it was like our planet in miniature. And I got this very visceral experience of being part of our biosphere and yeah. really understanding that we are a single crew. The reciprocity with the world around Yes, us. exactly. So the reciprocity that we're embedded in our biosphere, there are an active agent of our yeah. biosphere, whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not, we are. We're active agents yeah. in our biosphere. And of course, by extension, biosphere one, the planet, even though it's on this gigantic scale, and that is, was a deeply moving experience and completely changed the way I view the world for the rest of my life. I yeah. will never see the world again the same. So when you talk to people that have gone to space, it's not like a moment in time and then it dis it's not an experience that dissipates. It lasts forever. Yeah. And that's incredibly powerful and incredibly meaningful. And that's why I get up every morning and want to take people to space. I mean, of course, I want to go myself. But uh, aside from that, it's also because yeah. I, I want to give the opportunity for so many more people to have that same profound experience. Now, again, we were talking earlier about how going to places to learn about ourselves, going to places to learn about these places, but in the process, really more learning about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that was precisely it. I guess the biggest lesson of Biosphere 2 is that you went in wanting to learn about the ecosystem of the planet and how that system works, but ultimately it was a story about that group of people, how it evolved and how it was an active participant again in, in that world. You discovered more about yourself than really the world around. Am I correct or? Well, I, you know, I mean, it was a scientific project, right? So yes. we clearly learned a lot about what it is to build a biosphere. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, we essentially proved that it's possible that you can take this global biosphere uh, that has evolved over, over millennia, yeah. uh, over eons, on a geologic time scale, and jam it into this little tiny container, highly simplify it, all the ratios are mixed up, right? The water to the air, to the, to the soil, to the biomass, everything is different and still have a biosphere. Yeah. That was a huge finding. And one, you know, there's lots of work to yeah. be done on it to make it reliable enough for us to use it as a habitat for future exploration of, of Mars or whatever. But we essentially proved the hypothesis that it is, it is possible to do. So we certainly learned that yeah. uh, and a lot of other science along the way. But certainly part of the experience was undoubtedly, yeah, I mean, it stripped us all bare. Yeah. It has to, right? I mean, you know, j just from the very simple fact that our modern life is so... I mean, I mean, we're just bombarded with impressions all day long. We've got so many people around us. 
you know, now it's even more so because we've got, you know, all of our gadgets and our internet and all of that. We didn't have all that then, so yep. it was a little simpler than now. So you were not living, like, live on YouTube broadcasting to the world. Oh, actually, it was very funny because we had cameras throughout and it was just at the beginning, very very early stages of reality TV. In fact, I am sorry to say that we actually inspired some reality no. TV shows. Yes, we did. And so we're in the biosphere. We've just walked in and we're sitting in the office, which, you know, which we called Mission Control. Yes. Uh, the Commandrum, I'm sorry. We called it the Commandrum. And there was a camera in there and all of a sudden the camera starts moving and we're like, <laughs> oh no. No, 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 no. Nobody's spying on us. So we went around the whole biosphere and put hats on all the cameras. <laughs> This is not going to be another MTV. No, yeah, this is no, not, no, no, this is not that. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have this idea of nature uh, being this static environment, but you lived really within nature for two years, trying to control and trying to have this closed system. How complicated, how challenging was it? to really live with the dynamic force that are going on in this system. Mm. Well, okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. So, you know, this whole sort of domesticated concept that you've been talking about, we've been talking about, that, that a lot of people have about nature. I mean, look, I, I've been lucky enough to be embedded, not just in Biosphere 2, but On living out at sea yeah. for extended periods of time. I lived in the outback of Australia, which is in a very remote location. This was all part of Biosphere 2 training. Yeah. Uh, you know, so from, from that point of view, I certainly learned how big nature is. You know, I mean, these huge oceans that, you know, and these seas and storms that are threatening our little sailing boat that was sailing across the Indian Ocean. I mean, you, you suddenly get the grandeur and the power of, of the planet and all its forces. Uh, and in, in Australia, I also really got, you know, the, the nature red in tooth and claw. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, definitely not domesticated nature. Uh, so that was fascinating. And then in Biosphere 2, we were trying to control nature. Yeah. We had bottled it up, which is now a whole other thing. Because, you know, we were, we were dealing with, you know, somewhat elevated CO2 levels. So in essence, we were doing carbon sequestration before we really started to talk about having to do it on a planetary scale. Yeah. So we were having to do that in Biosphere 2. We were having to manage our atmosphere. We are, so we, we got a daily weather report and on our daily weather report, uh, you know, we had all the normal things that you would have, temperature, humidity control, humidity and, and things like that. But we also got CO2, oxygen, a whole bunch of other uh, gas species that we were monitoring daily. So, you know, that, that really put a fine point on learning to manage our atmosphere. I mean, that's what we're having to do now on planet Earth, right? Yeah, we're having correct. to le learn to manage our atmosphere, which is kind of a crazy thought. It's a scary thought because mm -hmm. of all of the unintended consequences associated with that. Yeah. But we were doing it in Biosphere 2. You know, there we were doing it mostly in a natural way. We did have a CO2 scrubber that we put in right at the last minute, but you know, it was a fairly small system. Uh, otherwise, we were doing it in the fairly traditional way. We, we, were, we, we had one area of savanna that had grasses that grew taller than us. And so we called it the bio valve 
because in a sense we could turn it on and off atmospherically. So when we wanted to pump oxygen into the atmosphere and take CO2 out of the atmosphere, we rained on it, it grew really fast. Then we harvested it, then we turned off the rain, so it dried out, and now you're sequestering all of that carbon in the soil, in the leaves, we stored all the leaves, and then when we needed to, we turned it back on and grew it again. So we were actually learning to, to manage our atmosphere right inside Biosphere 2. Amazing. And how did you, because I want to go back to a space perspective, how did you go from an indoor little planet to wanting to build a balloon and get in space and looking at planet Earth? Mm, what, so, how was that journey with you and Tabor and the team? And Yeah, so, so you mentioned Tabor. So Tabor McCallum, who's uh, founder and co-CEO of Space Perspective with me and has been on this 30-year journey with me, yeah. uh, was in the biosphere as well on the design team and in the biosphere. And um, I mean, we both had this really profound experience of being you know, part of our biosphere and understanding that it really is the experience that astronauts had from a different perspective, but, but it is that same same experience. You know, I went into the biosphere because I thought it was the closest thing I was going to get to Mars. Really? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It was, I mean, it was, so it was, it was a, a project that was done by a company yeah. called Space Biospheres Venture at the time. So, yeah, so, so it was an early commercial space company. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so uh, afterwards, we were like, okay, the first thing we're going to do is start a company that does life support system technologies. So we really understand how to do all that part. Hmm. Uh, so we found a Paragon Space Development Corporation with Grant Anderson, who runs the company yes, today. Correct. And, and Grant is doing amazing things with the company. You know, it has technologies on just about every human spaceflight uh, vehicle operated by Americans today. Uh, and soon going to the moon, which is super exciting. Nice. And then we uh, really wanted to, you know, like during all of that time, we were thinking about how are we actually going to take us all to space? Because, you know, rockets clearly are, are what are going to, in some form or another, are what are going to help us get off the planet, but, but they're not for everyone yet. You know, a lot of people can't really envision themselves going on a rocket. Yeah, I agree. So, like, how are we going to do this? And I'll never forget the day when Tabor walked into my office and he says, what do you think about taking people to space using a giant balloon? And I'm like, of course, that's exactly what we're gonna do. And it sounds nuts, but here's the thing. NASA has been flying these kinds of balloons for decades. For a long time. For a long time. And Tabor saw these balloons in operation as a kid. So his father's an astrophysicist. And he went to the launches of his father's experiments, which were these huge telescopes carried above the atmosphere by these, large uh, by these large balloons. And in fact, he was on the team that discovered that we have a black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy, which is pretty awesome. No way. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that awesome? So, I mean, it's like all, all fit together. Uh, and then we actually, the first thing, first thing we did, um, because why not, was we took Alan Eustace, uh, the then Google executive, up to 136,000 feet under a balloon in a, in a spacesuit that our team designed. That was the one that jumped the highest, even 
highest than the Red Bull, correct? Even higher than the Red Bull. Yes, we stole the Red Bull record. So, uh, yeah, Felix Baumgartner jumped from 128,000 feet. uh, And then we took Alan up to almost 136,000 feet, uh, where we intentionally dropped him. So he was actually hanging uh, in a spacesuit from the balloon. He didn't have to step out of a capsule. Interestingly, that actually adds a lot of complexity. Really? Oh, yeah. So for us, complexity equals pathways for risk. Correct. So everywhere you can simplify, which is what we're doing with Space Perspective today, everywhere you can simplify, generally that, in, yeah. that translates to a safer so system. So who pulled the clip? Because I guess he was just clipped and then waiting to be unclipped and fall? Yeah, or? so you can imagine that there were multiple ways for us to release him. So, because that would have been a bad day if he got stuck up there. Was that him? Was that him ultimately? Or no, just... we, we released him from the ground, but there was a way for him to like pull the rip cord. <laughs> Trying to decide who's going to go for it. Yeah, so no, no, there was a, there was a very well tested uh, operation set there. So we, we did release him and he free fell for five minutes, broke the speed of sound. Wow. Yes, broke the speed of sound. Uh, and uh, opened his parachute at 12,000 feet and came in for a safe landing. And actually, that was the third of three flights that we did with him. Uh, And there's a really cool film uh, on Netflix called 14 Minutes from Earth that documents it. And it takes three years of painstaking, like watching paint drying on the wall testing and turns it into an hour and a half if we almost kill him every five minutes so it's exciting it's your, <laughs> it's your typical discovery show yes exactly yes the, exactly you're no, sitting really on, on the edge and yeah no it, it, it's really fun it's a little geeky which is which is my style i like well just make sure it. that we put the link in the, the uh, description for you to look at yeah it's awesome uh yeah so so then here we are so the next is to take us all up. And everything is on track. End of 2024, I understand. Yes, so, yes. Far, so, so far so good. And then already hundreds of reservations. Hundreds of reservations. First year completely sold, second yeah. year pretty much. What I want to focus on, you and I, we talked about that. When you go on a rocket, it's what, 10, 11 minutes max of overall from the time that you leave and then you come back from 15. On New Shepard, it is yeah. 10 minutes and 15 seconds. The time that you get at the top is just a few minutes. Yes. And it's, it's a moment filled with adrenaline. Like you go up, it's the, the, you've had the G-force and then you have the zero gravity. Your body, your brain wants to directly go over there because that's the first thing that you, that you, that you experience. Looking out the window comes more as an effort because great, the window is there, but your body is overwhelmed by all these, these senses it's going through. So ex- having the overview effect within that experience is a little bit more complicated. We understand that the astronaut get it mostly by spending a lot more time in the ISS and, and looking down. Now, on space perspective, you're going to have people for six hours mm. on board, mm. gradually taking them, mm. priming them, and, and giving them a, a storytelling that gets them ready to experience, first of all, the sunrise. Correct? Yes. They're going to have a sunrise. 
and having that time to process that information, they don't lose the gravity. And what people, I think, don't understand is at that height of 100 plus thousand feet, you still experience the curvature of the earth mm. and the blackness of space. Mm -hmm. So six hours of journey yes. through, and this is where you can really experience that transcending experience. I think that, I mean, I'm biased, but space perspective is going to be the best way to have that life-changing experience. So tell me about that six hours. What, how you guys are going to just change the world with those six hours? Mm, I, I, I appreciate your perspective. And first of all, thank you for loving what we do. <laughs> <laughs> we are just to that. <laughs> Tasty. I know. Um, one of the things that Alan talked about when he went up for his last last jump, because he was truly, a, you know, he was a little higher, but it's going to be the same view. Yeah. Uh, but he talked about getting there, which was really interesting. So it was, you know, first of all, because of the nature of the way he was set up, he was actually looking down. Uh, he was hanging from from his spacesuit, yeah. looking down. So, you know, he saw gravel on the on the runway. Then he saw feet. Then he saw the people. Then he saw the runway. Then he saw the town. Then he saw the Grand Canyon. Then you know, and so it goes up and up and up until finally, he saw the curvature of the Earth and the blackness of space. And he says he his brain could keep up with the pace of change yeah. to where by the time he was at the top, he finally got the scale of the planet. And it's not that big. And what's amazing to think about is that Spaceship Neptune is above 99% of the Earth's atmosphere and it's 20 miles up. That's it. That's our atmosphere. I mean, that just blows my mind to think about that. So when we hear astronauts talk about this thin veil of our atmosphere or this thin shell of our atmosphere, I mean, it is not an exaggeration. You know, when we're standing on the ground and we're looking up, it looks like it goes to infinity because, you know, it's generally, if you're seeing a blue sky, you can't see the end, but it's this very thin, thin, thin atmosphere. So as people are going up, they're going to get this sense once they get up there and come back, you know, and start to come back down again of, of the scale of the planet. I mean, that's, that's the first thing I think. Uh, and to your point, I don't know if all of our flights will get sunrise, but certainly some of our flights will get sunrise. And it's, it's going to be incredible. I mean, the, the lighting is just gonna be outrageous. I mean, we've taken video at that altitude and you really get the three-dimensionality of this globe because you get the light, the terminus going across the planet and you totally see it all the way across, right? The light going across. You, you see, so before you get this thin blue line, you get the sun coming through the atmosphere and creating like this sort of rainbow effect. It's crazy. And then the sun pops up in the black sky, which just has to be mind blowing to see that with your own eyes, right? Just gonna be crazy. And then you get this thin blue line. And, and, and what's also amazing is to speak with now some of the folks that have just recently gone up and talking about the colors yeah. that they're seeing. 
and that they're actually different from the colors that we see down here because the light is attenuated by yeah. the atmosphere down here and up there it is not. So that's also crazy. And having to absorb all of that and then, oh wow, we actually do live on a planet hurtling through space. <laughs> so, you know, our job is going to, to really help people really absorb that, that experience. You know, look, let, let's face it. Some people are going to want to go up for a glass of champagne of in course. space. And that's I mean, awesome. That's... And that's awesome. Have at it. I think that's yep. amazing. But some people are truly going to connect with it. And uh, that's, that's also amazing. I mean, you get six hours and where you told me you're going to be using all the tools available to create a story that yeah. can be experienced, whether it's sound, obviously information, but everything that, can, that technology has given us yes. so that their journey doesn't just, it's not that, you know, two seconds up there. It's really from the beginning until the end and even when they leave. And even beyond. Beyond. Has to be beyond. So, look, we haven't entirely mapped this out yet, right? Some of this is of work course. to be done. Yeah. But absolutely, it needs to be full sensory experience. You know, we, we joke about the bar. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a joke. I mean, it, yeah. it's there because it's really iconic of, of a very different kind of experience, right? And, uh, you know, there the will be a culinary experience. I'm sure we will, we have plants in there, you know, things like lavender, which will have this wonderful fragrance. And Oh, I can't, I, I'm oh, sure that they're gonna be like, catered dinners, you know, special ones with... Well, actually, funny thing that you say that because we're designing it to be very flexible so yeah. that we can take out some of the seats and you could actually turn it into a dining experience and part of it or the cozy lounge, which is very different. And I'm sure people will have all kinds of, you know, like weddings and things like that they're going to want to do, right? So, so absolutely, we can, we can very much uh, customize the experience for people, which is also really amazing that we can do that. And we can uh, do meetings, platform. we can do meetings, we can, we can bring, I mean, I know that security wise, it would be difficult, but if we could bring up the global leaders, politics, and have them experience, obviously, you know, the planet from above, it would, it would help see, you know, the context. And I, the I have no doubt that uh, we will take some leaders up and look. I truly believe this is going to have a ripple effect, not yeah. just what we're doing, but what everybody's doing in the, the space travel industry, right? I mean, as we take increasing numbers of people to space, you know, they are going to, a certain number of them are going to really connect with this experience, yeah. right? And they are going to come back and behave differently and, and yeah. think differently. And that can change everything. I mean, that, that will have a ripple effect across That's the planet. It. There's Cam David. There's Sunnydale, which is in Palm Spring, you know, where global leaders go and take care of crisis. And there's going to be space perspective where <laughs> it's going to be the next place where the global crisis are managed and handled. So not only are you going to be amazing. I mean, I, you know, it, it would be it would truly be incredible to be able to take people up and, um, you know, if nothing else, it will help them think differently. Yeah taking people slightly outside their comfort zone, putting them in a very different environment, very different environment, absolutely is gonna have people think differently. But that was the entire premise of, you know, Cousteau, Jacques Cousteau, that yeah, of the, course. the oceans, it's until, I mean, at the end, we're a species of flesh and blood. We, we need to experience things to understand. We don't do well with concept, you know, it, 
it says on packs of cigarettes, it will kill you. We still, <laughs> we still smoke. But we, I don't think of that as a concept. That, that's, a, but for, that's a mortal warning. It is, but it's, it's, I know what it's you mean. not a physical It's like exp- in the future. It's like, exa- it's, we, again, like we can talk about the garbage in the ocean mm. forever. The reality that people's yes. physical relationship with garbage is that I take my bag and I put it into the garbage dump. That is physical for me. That is real. And until this is affected, everything else is conceptual. And we don't do really well on concept. We're physical beings. We, we do well when we're, our face is against the wall and then we have to figure out how it is. So, but to experience the planet from, from above, from 100,000 feet and seeing the curvature of the earth and the context, that is a physical experience that you cannot erase and you cannot undo it. And if it's primed and if it's structured within an amazing storytelling that tells you this is how you can process that information. So look, I don't think it's our job as a company to tell people how to think. What I do think is that our job is to give them the opportunity to have a very different experience. And, you know, I believe in showing, not telling. So as a business, we inhabit this concept of being active crew members of Spaceship Earth. Yeah. And so that's very important. Because you don't want to preach either. You don't want no, exactly. to be, you're not there to preach. You're no. not there to convert. You're just there to give the opportunity for people to experience something truly out of this world. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that we have the opportunity to really show a, an amazing sort of sci-fi future today. Yeah. And, you know, some of that, not only has to do with seeing the earth in space and space travel and you know the future of humanity in space and all that that involves but also what does that look like for us down here on earth and you know i think there's so many opportunities for us to have an incredibly abundant future and that we can demonstrate today so as an example we're a carbon neutral company right we uh, we operate the vehicle as as um a pretty nearly emissions-free vehicle uh, which is a great start. Uh, we, the entire interior of the capsule is either recycled or you know, some form of, of environmentally appropriate sound uh, materials. The bar top is uh, made of in part upcycled balloon. Uh, no way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, really demonstrating that, that, that you can have it all. You can have this wonderful experience and do it appropriately yeah. for our planet. Uh, you know, the same thing with everything else, right? Our vendors, we work very uh, carefully to have uh, vendors everywhere we can and partners who, who uh, believe in the same, yeah. the same values. It's really important. I think that's one, from my time in, in nature and the wilderness, we need to understand that we have an impact in our environment. It's impossible to live in a place without having an impact. There's a relationship, there's a reciprocity that we were talking earlier. We have to take from the environment so that we can feed ourselves, so that we can live, but we have to give back. And we have to maintain that relationship because if we abuse the environment that we're abusing around ourselves, ultimately it's us. It's the environment, you know, we'll, we'll it will figure out its way forward. But if we, if we abuse the environment, then we do a disfavor to us. So f- 
having this relationship based on respect and using it in a way that has a longevity, ultimately, it's a win-win situation for both, for both parties rather than kind of a linear take-all um, strategy, right? Yeah, and, and, and this sort of way of thinking of abundance and sort of being an active member, positive force, in uh, on spaceship earth right that's sort of in my dna now from yeah. my time at the biosphere because it was so clear we could see moment to moment the, the effect we could yeah. have you know when i when i turned a, a field of sweet potatoes i saw it reflected in the atmosphere i saw the co2 go up in wow. our atmosphere so i could see the direct effect of my behavior okay I don't necessarily see the direct effect of my individual behavior now, particularly because, you know, our atmosphere is so much larger than I can, than I can personally affect moment to moment. But collectively, we have an enormous effect, obviously. And so that collectivity, though, collectiveness, whatever the right word is, uh, <laughs> that, that connectivity, uh, between all of us is made up of individuals. Correct. Now, some people will know, well, will think, gosh, I'm going to be stuck in the capsule for six hours. What if I have to go to the bathroom? There is no a, problem. There is a bathroom. There's a bathroom, and that bathroom has an amazing view. You will not have to miss out on the view, even in the loo. It will be the best loo with the view. In the universe. In the universe. Well, yes. for now, for now. Yes. But, because there's no windows on the ISS. Right. And there are no windows on the plane. Nope. So that's going to be the only one, 100,000 feet, where you get a window. And you get to see it. You, get, you get to see it. So, <laughs> so you get to think really deeply about what you're doing yeah. sitting above the earth. Yes. And there's a bar. Families, I believe that right now it's 18 years old. You know, yes, at the moment at we the think moment. It's, it's 18. We're yeah. hoping we're be, going to be able to take, say, 16-year-olds, but uh, at the moment it's 18. Imagine what it would be like if you're 16 years old to see that right at that age where like, mm. you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're in that cognitive development of understanding your awareness of the world and what you can do. Because you know, at 14 years old, you're a little bit too early, too young. 18 years old, you're like, meh you know, dazed and confused a little bit, but 16 years old, <laughs> 16 years old. I don't know. I think 14 is a good age too, but any, anywhere around there is awesome. Yeah. I, I think anywhere around there is amazing. Um, For families who want to bring out. And yes. And, and so the way we've designed the space lounge yeah. is for it to be a social experience. So that it's as much social as it, as it is about the view, right? So can you share a bit about that design? Because I know that the design is quite different from where you and Tabor thought at the beginning of yes. the... And your team came back and they warned you in the, the beginning. They said, okay, this, this is going to sound bizarre, but just stick with us. And then they give you a design and share with us what that design is. Oh, it was so fun. Yeah, in the beginning, we had the idea that, well, this is all about the view. You want to just sit in front of the window, isn't it? So we had a seat in front of every window encircling, looking out. Okay, what does that actually translate to? 
it means you are sitting staring out the window, and if you want to have a conversation, you're like looking over your shoulder. So it becomes a very solitary experience. We're not really solitary beings in general. Uh, we're social. We're social. Above all and everything, we're exactly. social. Exactly. So we set up a mock-up, and uh, our design team came up with over 100 different layouts. And we just moved stuff around in this layout, and it was in this mock-up, and it was amazing the difference these lays out, and some of them fairly subtle differences. I mean, subtle changes in the layout made made big differences to the to the experience. And what we ended up with is these sort of two groupings of four uh, in, in in sort of a semicircle. So we now have optimized for being able to have the amazing view in any seat of this 300 and almost 360 degree view and you're sitting in a semicircle so that you can have you know a shared experience and in the center you can all there's room for everybody to get up and gather in the center so you can have a toast or whatever you can go gather by the bar uh, we'll have a telescope set up there and then of course the loo so you can also go gather on on one side to look out the window so there's all these sort of different spaces within this space lounge itself. And then uh, it's very dark. All of the furniture is dark because uh, that helps to prevent re yeah. reflections on the windows. Now what happens, I, I'm a photographer, and every time I see people that are within, against the window and they try to take photos, yeah. they don't realize but the flash actually reflects on the window and the photo doesn't really work because yeah. it doesn't see. Is there any, is there a solution for that, for people who are gonna want to take photos? Or are you gonna have something on board that is outside can take photos for them? Yeah, we will definitely have a selfie stick yeah. on the outside looking in. No way. Yeah, oh, I, we have to do that, right? <laughs> Come on, you gotta have your photo taken in space looking out the, the capsule cool. window. Um, and we'll have cameras inside. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think we wanna train people to be able to take really good Images. Yeah. People want to take their own images. Of course. Uh, so we're, we're going to be showing them how to do that. Okay. Some of that will be with equipment. Yeah. Uh, but some of that will just be how do you handle this very different lighting? How do you deal with this very high contrast lighting? And as you said, yeah. you know, it's against this bright light outside. So, and behind windows. Behind windows. Behind windows. So, so there'll be some training involved. So two hours to go up, gradually. You start from the ground slowly going out for two hours. You cruise for two hours at the apogee, which is 100,000 feet plus, and then two hours slowly coming down. Yep, and, and you splash. And you splash, and you're being captured or, or um, taken by a yacht or a boat, and then brought back to shore. Yes. So six hours, and then the, the how far off the coast or from your original point, is it depending on the weather? Or? A little bit, but just for a reference point, uh, our flight last year landed 50 miles offshore. Wow. Yeah, so, so that's great, right? So then it's a, a really beautiful cruise back, back to shore, and I think people are gonna want a minute. Yeah. When they get back down, and just to like, it's sit a full with it day, and to share. Full day experience coming yes. back, and then you have another, hour plus two hours after that trip and where you can continue that storytelling you can continue yes. supporting them into that experience yes exactly and look also i think it's going to be really fun to think about you know some 
how do we support people who want to do something yeah. with that energy? Uh, and that's going to be really fun as well. Are you gonna are you gonna lead them? Not lead them, but give them opportunity to already do things or connect or yes, or, yeah. Okay. I, I think that's important uh, to at least offer yeah. a curated uh, list of partners that we'll be working with uh, that that are making a difference that that they can connect with. Absolutely, yes. So you have basically every seat sold out for the next two years correct two years roughly so, speaking yes roughly speaking so even if someone wanted to like go tomorrow they can they have to wait well they have But, to wait at least until 2024 20, because that's when we're planning to start flying and, and you know there may be the opportunity to get some priority seating shh, shh, shh. <laughs> the if so just but, call us huh just call us there just the call them so they just have to go on space perspective spaceperspective.com and you can buy your ticket to space either with your credit card or through Coinbase. You can you can use cryptocurrency. You can use crypto now. Do they have to pay the entire thing or just a deposit right, right now? now? It's a thousand dollar refundable deposit. So even if like people don't know how they would feel feel about that, make the deposit. You got you got some time to think about it. If they want to, if they decide not to go up for some reason or the other, mm -hmm. that thousand dollar is is refunded. Absolutely, yeah. So, like, it's like it's a you can't lose anything. Just make the deposit. <laughs> <laughs> make the deposit. We'll send you a bottle of silver. Oak in the <laughs> make the deposit. They go on space perspective and then make the deposit. Yeah. And then twenty twenty five twenty well. Hopefully 2024 it starts, but make the call, make yes. the first move. Yep. Excellent. Jane, it was such a pleasure. Can't wait. I mean, I know that we have our own project together and I'm looking forward to making this happen, but this is, this is going to be amazing. Thank you. Yeah. We're super excited to be taking as many people as possible to space. Young, old from all different backgrounds. Yeah, we didn't talk about the fact that we do want to take all different backgrounds, artists of all kinds. We want to be able to take scientists, of course, that's a no-brainer. Are you, are you going to keep like a, a percentage of seats per year for, pro, not pro bono, but for non-for-profit or? Yeah, so I don't, I hesitate to say that we've put something together quite like that but yes we are going to be doing something and of course we've already partnered with space for humanity yeah uh which is amazing organization that is going to be sending uh leaders up yeah on that um and absolutely we will be definitely setting aside some seats for um artists young people writers poets musicians you can buy a seat you can do a buyout Yep. For companies who want to do a meeting, because yep. that's going to happen. Yeah, and we've, we've actually had people buy more than one capsule already, whether they want to fly with their families and then they want to fly, fly with their friends so, or their, their, their business uh, colleagues. Uh, so people, almost half of our seats are, have been bought by nice. full capsules. And ultimately, you want to have multiple departure points around the world, not just one, but a, right. fleet, a fleet of Neptunes. Yeah, that's right. So we will start operations 
from uh, Florida. Yeah. And then very quickly, we want to start building up out around the world. Excellent. Jane, congratulations Cheers. to you and the team. Looking forward to go up and live a loot. For anyone, spaceperspective.com, go and uh, make a reservation. It's only $1,000. Even if you change your mind, you can get it back. And that's going to be a life-changing experience. And uh, if you need a bottle of wine as you go up, just call us. We'll send you a nice little silver oak. Bye, everyone. Ad Astra. <laughs> Ad Astra. <laughs>